And welcome to Don't Die Before You're Dead. I am your host, Mary McCartney, and this is where we talk about all things related to living the life that you're meant to live. And of course, my big question always is, how are you doing at that? Some people are doing really well, like my guest today, who has come to the place where he's looking at the big picture. What else is out there and has done some remarkable things? Now, my guest is Neil Dunsmore, and I've known Neil for quite some time, but even this adventure, if I can dare use that word, and I know Neil well enough that he will change that if necessary. But actually, he took what he learned over his years, and mainly a lot of his lessons came while he was in prison. So without much further ado, let me introduce Neil Dunsmore, and we're going to have a great conversation about what Neil has been up to. So welcome, Neil, and thanks for taking the time to be with us today. Oh, Mary, it's good to see you again, and it's good <laughs> to be here. And, and I, I, you know me, I'm passionate about this this journey of discovery I've been on and, and how, how much it's helped me. And, and uh, I appreciate you having me here to share it. And I think some of your listeners have, have, have leaned in a little bit to the, the speakers when you said, you know, Neil's learned a lot in prison. And so to be clear, because my wife is probably somewhere downstairs listening to this now going, clear that up, clear that <laughs> Yes, up. of course. <laughs> so I spent 10 years working in a maximum security detention center, and I was uh, a corrections officer and a crisis hostage negotiator. Mm -hmm. And I learned a lot about people and particularly about mental health in there, because I would say, and I, I don't think it's any different today. I talked to some of the, the men and women that I used to work with, and they tell me that you're probably higher, if anything, I said when I worked there that, you know, a good 75 to 85% of the people that were incarcerated in the province of Ontario had mental health issues. Mm -hmm. And a good 20% didn't belong in prison, they belonged in a mental health hospital. And, and that has been an ongoing, that's been an ongoing challenge. And is. you being in the trenches and seeing that, and recognizing that people's needs need to be addressed. Yeah. And, and people who watch it, people who see it from the outside. Uh, I mean, we saw some of it in, um, in the news recently with the stuff that's going on down South. Oh, yes. And you see those people storming the Capitol. Yes. And you see the anger mm -hmm. and you see the, the, a lot of it was contained, you know, contain frustration that they finally just exploded out. People don't normally do things like that. And the contrast for me came, you had the one lady that was a real estate agent. This is somebody who has their own business. And, mm -hmm. and she went down there and she stormed the Capitol and they caught her on facial recognition. And then she says, well, I was just doing what I was asked to do. And, and I was, and people are like, how could they do that? And I'm looking mm -hmm. at her and I said, you know, there's things going on in their lives that create the stress that, that bundles that up and it just pushes it down and pushes it down and pushes it down. And then they just, they explode because they have no ability to contain their emotions. Yeah. And, and that's kind of a metaphor for, for a lot of people out there with mental health issues. Mm -hmm. It's just piling on and piling on and piling on. And then they act out and then they went, Oh my gosh, what did I do? And, and, <laughs> it it manifests itself in the strangest the strangest of ways. So I learned a lot about how to deal with people like that when I was in correction, corrections because we were unarmed. Oh. <laughs> so you're armed with your wits. They're, well, yeah, that those were the tools of the trade. Right. Is and, uh, you know being prepared to to recognize what you're facing. Yeah. And also to 
know that each individual would need different words, different situations to kind of, you know, address where they were at. Um, I've listened to some of the things that you've talked about, and I've known over the years that, you know, you address things on a situational basis. Absolutely. So, Neil, I didn't say what you had done. And so, you know, the title, of course, was uh, Stop the Silence. And that was what you had chosen for your dare I say, project. But tell us about that. Like, you did it for a cause, but you also did it for um, a reason. Like, what came first? Was it a cause and you were looking for a project to meet the cause? Or how did that work out? And tell us about it. Yeah, so this whole thing came came about is is I've, I've always tried to be supportive to people in my life. Everybody. I try to help them in any way, shape, or form I can. That's part of being a good friend. My father taught me that. He mm-hmm. says, you know, he said early in my life, you're a collector of friends because you help people and, and keep doing that because it'll serve you well in this life. And so that's what I was doing. And I, I'll send you an email. I said I would do that. And I know I forgot. Uh, connecting you with a friend of mine, Sergeant Peter Vile, retired oh, from the right. Regional Police. Mm-hmm. Now, Peter has always been this guy that tries to do these, these uh, ultra trips. Uh, He's ridden his bike from uh, Banff, Alberta to New Mexico to raise funds for the cancer center in in Grand River Hospital. He's uh, he started the ride for your life where a group of officers would ride their bikes from Waterloo to Ottawa every year to raise awareness for fallen officers. And he's done many of these. And, And Peter was doing another one and he was going across the United States of America on his bike, raising money for St. Mary's Heart Hospital in, in Waterloo. And he had a fall and he tore his rotator cup Oh, and he had to stop That's and they had to come home. And now everything was stopped. He was off mm-hmm. work with the injury. And during that time he actually retired and he was, he's a good friend of mine. And I saw his personality changing and, and I thought I'm worried about him. So I, you know, I encouraged him. He said, Neil, I'm not going to ride anymore. I'm going to walk. So I started walking with him and my dog in the morning and we were just walking and walking and walking and, and his spirits picked up and he became himself again. And, and the more he got further away from the surgery, the better it came. And I knew that would happen. Mm-hmm. And so one day we're out there for a good long two hour walk. And he turns to me and he says, I don't think I'm going to do another bike ride. He said, I think I'm going to walk to Ottawa because that's where the peace officer's memorial is. And I'm, I'm going to do that this time. And, uh, and I said, wow, that's a great idea, Pete. Um, you know, if it helps you, I'll walk with you a little bit of the way anyway. Right. Well, he shows up at my house two <laughs> weeks later with the maps and he says, let's talk about your walk. I oh, said, your walk. <laughs> so suddenly, instead of helping him, I'm going all the way. So he kind of pushed me into this. But I kept a thinking, good you know, I'll just keep supporting him and I'll bail out at the end. And, and, and then, you know, we started walking. We started training. I started to feel good. And I started thinking, maybe I can do this, you know. And mm-hmm. he became my, my mentor. And he was pushing me and pushing me. And he was a big part of this walk. And of course, life changed. Uh, He retired and he started working for a uh, busing company. So he was driving kids to school and he couldn't go in September when the peace officer's memorial was. And I had my business going and a lot of my business was in the summer. So Peter wanted to go in August. I needed to go in September. So we split the walks and I ended up on my own. And of course, COVID came and COVID changed everything. Of course, yes. 
But so it became two walks and Peter always has Peter's the St. Mary's heart hospital is big for him because he lost his first wife very young to a heart disease. Oh, dear. And so he's supportive of them. But he said to me, you don't have to support St. Mary's you just support whoever you want. And mental health has been an issue in my community. We've had a lot of uh, youth suicide, youth suicide oh, and dear. senior suicide in our community and in a, in a more increased level than anywhere else in the, in the country. At, at one point, we were higher than everybody. And, and to me, in a beautiful, pristine community like this, yes. when I ran for to be a township counselor, I looked for issues that, that needed to be resolved in our community. And that one came to the forefront. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately. So, yeah. So when picking something to walk for, Mm-hmm. For me, it was a no-brainer right off. The, the hardest part for me was who am I walking for? Am I walking for Big Brothers Big Sisters, who has a hub in town? Am I walking for the Canadian Mental Health Association? Who am I going to pick? Mm-hmm. And I met a young woman named Darcy Shepard, and Darcy's son Cody is to me the poster boy for what people struggle with. Uh, Cody Shepard was a tremendous athlete. He represented his high school at Ofsa. He represented his country at the Pan Am Games. He was a very uh, outgoing, fun-loving, attractive young man who was loved by everybody. And he had the world at his feet. And for some reason, he was fighting internal demons. And he died by suicide in October of 2017. And I met his... I met his mother in the campaign trail in 2018. So it was still relatively fresh. And when I met both his parents, just the pain that they were going through. And I decided then they had started a project called the Cody Shepherd Stop the Silence Project. Mm -hmm. Because they want kids, they want everybody who's suffering to talk. Right, you You can't help what you don't know about. That's it. So many times when it's around somebody who's died by suicide, I hear... I had no idea. Yeah. And we do. We don't have any idea of the demons that people fight. Is there is there a truth in what I've heard most of my life is the ones who are doing all the talking are the less likely to commit suicide. And most times it's it takes people by surprise because there has been no talking when it actually happens. Yeah. It, it, it's very rare that they talk. Yeah. Mm. Uh, you know, when I when I hooked up with the Canadian Mental Health Association, I was talking to one lady there and, and, and she said 60% of the cases of people who died by suicide have not reached out. Mm-hmm. They did not access the services that were there. And that's a number that frightens me. It's hot, very high. You know, it is it is too high. Mm-hmm. So we know that talking to somebody helps. We know that getting help helps. And the, and the problem with it is there is a stigma. Mm-hmm. The stigma is if I have a mental health problem, oh, I'm nuts. Yeah. Oh, he's crazy. There, I mean, look at all the old, the old terminology that thank yeah. God we don't use anymore, right? Yes, for sure. Right? I mean, we had a movie about it. One, one flew over the cuckoo's nest. Right? <laughs> I taught that in school many, many yeah. times. Jack Nicholson's, you know. And we have to change. Yes. We have to change that conversation, yes. Mary, because yeah. you're not. You're not cuckoo. You're not. Well, you're not crazy. You're many sick. people don't know any different, other than yeah. perhaps what Hollywood has presented to us. So those of us who perhaps don't have mental illness in our families, or at least that we're not aware of, yeah, really are uneducated about it. And it, you know, things that like what you've done to latch on to that and make it far more public. We need to learn so we can 
be more vigilant or more helpful. So um, not to, not to interrupt what you're, you're saying, but the stop the silence is so critical because we, we don't know what we don't know and we can't help that. So, you know, bringing it out. Oh, and, and it fit perfectly with my, with my person personality and my persona. Yeah. And your background history of what you've seen, you could speak to your experiences. Yeah. And I'm, and like you, I'm a speaker now. And and yes. I go out and I speak. I I take the time I spend in prison. I teach corporations how to deal with conflict internally, mm-hmm. how to set up a culture that 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 lessens the the conflict that they have. But when conflict comes up, there's a way to successfully use it to right. grow the organization yeah. instead of shutting it down. So those are the things I talk about, and I speak constantly about stuff like that. And I'm mm-hmm. always talking. So when it, the the their tagline "Stop the silence," it just fit with it's me. Perfect. Yes. So the actual walk was called Steps to Stop the Silence. <clears throat> and I tied it in and I, I raised all the money for them. And then they channeled it to charitable organizations in town. I was overwhelmed by the raised a lot from the first day. Yeah. We're it, There's still people donating. We're up close to, I think we're at 27 now. We might be getting close to 30. I've, I've got a bunch of Rotary Clubs that I'm talking to. Is it because still... Is it still an open campaign that people, the listeners today, like we can talk about that later, yep. that can, yes. they can still contribute to that? Yep. Yep. Excellent. Absolutely. Well, so make we, sure you tell us how yeah, to we'll, about we'll that. We'll talk about that. And, and I, you know, I'm happy with what we've raised and we're putting the money to, to good That's use. That's fantastic. And, and whenever anybody says, can I still donate? Yes, you can. Good. But I also encourage people to donate to their local outreach organizations because everybody, okay. you're, you're going to have a broader uh, scope than I did. I'm in the township of Center Wellington. We're doing some great things, particularly for youth and around PTSD now. And I'm so that, you know, Mary, you know, don't die before you're dead. But if it happened, you know, if it was God's will that it happened to me tomorrow, I'm leaving with a smile on my face because there's changes that have been made by the people who helped donate to my walk and and the organizations that's gone to. So I'm, I, I, you know, I'm, the most content I've ever been in my entire life. Well, Neil, that's a good point. I don't want to take us too far off track, but that is a really good point you made because some people really struggle with knowing what it means to live fully. Because I'll be, I'll be honest with you. This was very difficult. The training that I had to put in to get this done. I trained, yeah, I trained from October until uh, January before I told anybody. Because I wanted to make sure the way my knees were, I have one metal knee that was replaced five years ago, and my left knee is still the original knee, and it's it's held together with uh, with uh, duct tape, uh, chewing gum, and bailing twine. It's it's ready to go. It needs to be replaced. And that's before. And so I yes. that was before the walk. So I had to push myself to see how long can I actually go in a day. So I jumped on the treadmill and I, you know, it was a really, when I, I was writing the book about it yesterday and I was going over it and I was thinking, wow, did I ever have a process for this? And I think Peter was a big part of that process because he's a, he's a fitness nut and he, uh, he, him and I have trained over the years together and, and, and he's taught me things that you don't just rush in and and you'll never like, if I decided that first day, well, I got to see if I can go for an hour, listen to your body. So that first day on the treadmill, I think I got 25 minutes to half an hour. 
And it wasn't that my body couldn't take it, that my lungs were, I was breathing heavy or I was exhausted. It was pain. It was the pain in that knee. So I get off, I ice it, and I go back the next day. And I'd go and I try to get to 45 minutes. And then I'd ice it. And, and that process was slow, but I did it every day. And then I did it twice a day, once in the morning, once at night. And, and eventually I got to three hours before any pain came. And that's when I thought, okay, I might be able to do this. And then I got to three hours twice a day. And wow. I said, okay, if worse comes to worse, I can do three hours in the morning. I can do three hours later in the day after icing it and taking a break. Mm -hmm. So maybe I can do this. And I started to believe in myself. Okay, and Neil, yeah. we still haven't told people what you did. We've <laughs> talked about it. We've talked about <laughs> stop the silence. And people are knowing okay. your training. And I think it's only fair to tell them, what yeah. the heck did you do? So I walked from the village of Alora, the, the township of Center Wellington uh, Council Chambers, which is at one McDonald's Square in Alora. And I walked using recreation trails, the Trans-Canada Trail, the Cataract Trail. I walked all the way to Parliament Hill in Ottawa, 531 kilometers. And how many steps? 195,184 steps. I had a Fitbit, so it counted every one of them. Amazing. And... I felt every one of those steps and, and it was, it was a big ordeal. And listen, I was just walking. I wasn't running. I wasn't cycling. I wasn't doing any major fitness activity. I was doing something that we all do every day, but who does it for 10 hours a day, nonstop. Wow. And, Nobody and so that's what I did. Yeah. It, and that's and an so incredible. The, so the training makes sense now that, you know, yeah. You know, well, you knew before Peter told you that you weren't going to just get up one morning and open up the door and then walk to Ottawa. No, you had that to train for it. And, and so back to your volunteerism thing is one of the big things that we that I've discovered over the span of my short life is that we can forgive ourselves over and over and over again. So we are constantly letting ourselves down. Think about how many times you said, this is the day I lose, start to lose weight and I'm going on a diet. And two days later, some friends oh, come over with a bottle of wine. <laughs> yeah. And we just stop because you know what? If I can't love myself enough to forgive myself for giving up on something, yeah. then who can? Yeah. But the one thing I've discovered is when you step up to help somebody else, you get more committed to that cause than you do to yourself. Because nobody likes letting somebody else down. For sure. And I'm a, I'm a Rotarian as well. And they, our motto is in the Rotary Clubs is service above self. Mm -hmm. And I talked to a lot of Rotary Clubs about this. To me, this was the epitome of service above self. Now, COVID shut my business down. But at the time I started this, my business was pumping hotter than it had ever done before. I was flying. I was about to tell my wife that, you know what? We're going we're gonna to pay off some bills that because I had a business that went bankrupt and that put a lot of bills on us. Right. We're about to clear that up because if this keeps going the way it's going, this is the year that turns my life around. This is why I put all that work into developing that business. Mm -hmm. It's going to be okay. Mm -hmm. And I don't like letting people down. So I hadn't shared that with her because I didn't want to let pe people down. And when COVID hit, about a week or two before I was planning this big surprise because I was going to give her the money to paid it and and then we were going to go on a trip 
COVID hit, shut everything up. Mary, I had a full year of conferences booked. And I had to return the money because they have the up to 30 days before you speak. And and some of them were good and some of them weren't. That first day they announced the shutdown. I watched my bank account go from what was the healthiest in years to pretty close to having to touch my line of credit again. It was devastating. So this was a huge sacrifice for me now, not to go out and get another job, but to carry on with this. It was safer to stay home anyway. That's what the government was asking. Right. But that shutdown actually, you know, I'm, I, I am embarrassed to say it, but the shutdown was a good thing for me because it allowed me to train. I couldn't go out and work anyway. My clients weren't hiring me. I had the time and I just trained great. and trained. You, were trained. There, like, you had a greater purpose yeah. that you were going to be doing. So yeah. Knowing you, you take things on the chin, if you will, and keep on trucking. So you're talking about, you know, looking a very optimistic way. I mean, you you got you got hammered by COVID. Oh, and we're huge. able to say, okay, um, there's no point staying home and crabbing about it. And of course, you're always teaching about conflict resolution and how to deal with things and not setting your mindset. And you listen to yourself and you you took the bull by the horns and decide okay well now the time i can make a difference there's no point in my staying home and feeling sorry for myself yep and you carried on so um was this was a, a crazy year to take on something so momentous it was it, it was but it was it was the it was the perfect environment. The only time I thought about shutting it down because so I trained and trained right through Christmas into January mm-hmm. and it was January. It was Bell Let's Talk Day yeah. of 2019, of 2020, sorry, when I, I made the announcement. I went on the radio and said, my name is Neil Dunsmore and I am going to walk from Elora to Ottawa to raise awareness for mental health and suicide issues in my community. The radio station loved it. Bell, let's talk day. Let's talk about breaking the silence. Let's talk about this. And here's somebody who's going to do this. Mary, I left that radio station. I got my car and my hands were shaking. And you know me. I don't get nervous. I have been in a maximum security detention center with some pretty big guys staring down, threatening to kill me. And I don't get afraid. But when I got in that car, I was scared to death. Because I had just announced my BHAG yeah. to, to the whole world. That's okay. your big, hairy, audacious goal. <laughs> and, and Mary taught me that years ago. The big, hairy, <laughs> audacious goal was out there. Yeah. And I couldn't pull it back. Well, and now, as a public figure, if I failed, that would be embarrassing. So it was an added push on the back that says, you've got to do this now, mouthpiece. That was stupid. You told the world. Now yeah. you got to go do it. And, and so I did. And when COVID hit, it actually, a part of me for a minute said, oh, you could postpone this now. And everybody would go, oh, COVID. Oh, sure. yeah. COVID, stop. It's not safe to go out there. You can't stay in hotels. Now you got to camp on the, on, the, on the road. You can stop now. And I just went, bing, shut up. I'm going. Good for you. Because when I talked to Darcy Shepard, Cody's mother, and I said to her, what do you think? Should I keep going or should I stop during COVID? And she didn't hesitate. She said, now more than ever. Because people are going to be locked in. 
and they're going to be getting depressed and they need to know that they can reach out. It, now more than ever, we need to talk about it. And that was last year. That was last year. It was right and at the now, start. Yeah. Oh, now there's people that are hurting. They need so yeah. much help. And there well, are crisis lines. The they need they, to hear from you as well. Yeah. And that's why I'm so thankful you came here because you have done something to move the needle. Yeah. Well, and a little bit. Yeah. And and I'm, I'm proud of that. A little bit. I mean, some people don't do anything because they think a little doesn't matter. Oh. You say a little. I say 531 miles you walked or kilometers you walked is hardly little. Well, it, How long and, did it take you, Neil? It took 22 days. I, I, left, I left on the 5th. Of, of September. And I, I arrived there. My goal was to arrive in Ottawa on September 27th, because that's the peace officers memorial. And the peace officer memorial honors peace officers who have died in the line of duty all across the country. There are friends of mine whose names are on that wall. And I well, wanted to honor them. Yeah. But most of all, Mary, our community lost three peace officers who died by suicide. Oh my. And I am an advocate who pushes. I want the provincial and the federal government to pony up. We ask our, our police officers, we ask our corrections officers, we ask our first responders, firefighters, and paramedics. All of those people put themselves in harm's way to protect us day in and day out. They are exposed to things that the average human being does not see. Mm -hmm. And those occupations are at a much higher risk for PTSD. Well, and they when they die, they can't and, unsee what they, they see. They can't unsee. The bell can't be unrung. I can't tell you how many of my friends I have sat with, and they use the line. One of the most hair raising lines I heard from one of them when I, I went over one time to visit him and, and, and have a coffee in the morning because he called and he wasn't doing well. And I, and I went over and I sat there, we were having a coffee, and, and I said, What's going on, buddy? And he said, They came for a visit last night. And I said, Who? And he says all of them and every accident he was at, every incident he had to intervene with where somebody lost their life, he sees them in his mind's eye at night. It, 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 that's, that's the very definition of PTSD. Those ghosts haunt him yeah. and he needs, he's, well, he's getting help. He's doing great. And he that's what help will do. So I walked to Ottawa for the Peace Officers Memorial because I wanted to highlight for people that their names belong on that wall too. If a, if a police officer or a first responder, a firefighter, corrections officer, a paramedic, all of those first responders, that PTSD is an on-the-job injury. Mm -hmm. that's, that's like dying on the job to me. But I get it. I get why they're not recognized. They're not recognized because you and I and taxpayers would have to pay their benefits package to their widows and their survivors for the rest of their lives. Well, I say go ahead, pay it. There's, 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 there's no better use for the money. I and, agree. And I believe PTSD is an on-the-job injury, and it needs to be recognized as such. So that was the that was the reason for using the uh, the, the peace officers memorial. So the twenty-two days, I, I calculated out how much I could walk in a day through my training, which was anywhere between you know twenty-five and thirty-five kilometers a day. Now things changed out there, and we can talk about that later. There were some pretty long days. And, and it got it got pretty nasty. And then I had to you have to listen to your body. Remember, you can't do this day after day after day after day after day after day for 22 days. It, it won't work. So I had to make sure I went far enough every day and I could get a day off every three to five days. And because I was a counselor, 
And that was the one source of income I had. I wasn't shirking my duties as a counselor. So I worked my days off in the walk around my scheduled meetings for the township council, which was no easy doing when you have to attend via Zoom in a Tim Hortons in on the side of the road in, in the small towns of, you know, Hastings and Perth and Carleton Place and Stittsville. You know, you just sit down and hi, guys. And, and uh, I have to give a shout out to local entrepreneurs all across this country, because when I'd walk into a, a restaurant or a Tim Hortons and one was a family restaurant and I said, do you have Wi-Fi? And they said, yes. And I said, let me tell you who I am and what I'm doing. I'm going to have a cup of coffee. I'll buy breakfast. I'll buy lunch. But I, I really need four or five hours of your internet. And there wasn't one of them said no. Oh, and one imagine. guy says, you don't have to buy anything. And I said, I do. I haven't eaten anyway. So I had breakfast and I had a coffee and, and we did our council meeting. And, you know, so you had to work around things like that. But the big thing was I had to have my time off. I had to get that rest to let my body recover. And recovery became a big part of it. I can't tell you how much I hurt every night. Yeah, the oh. pain was incredible. <laughs> Logistically, how did you manage? Like, what did you do at the end of the day? How did, were you sleeping in a ditch at the side of the road or? Well, so we, we do all this training. I do all this training, Mary. And Peter and I got out on the roads uh, Uh because COVID hit and he called me and he said, Neil, it's shut down. There's no cars out there at all. He said, if we socially distance, we can put ourselves to the test. We can really make some headway here, big guy. And I thought, so there we were in March, walking county roads around here, up and down hills. And and there became a joke between Peter and I, because, you know, we'd look and we'd see this hill. And you know that sometimes you can walk down a country road or driving down a country road and you look off in the distance and you see this hill and you go, look at that. And then when you get to it, all of a sudden you're over it. There are hills like that. From a distance, they look really steep. But when you get there, you you don't feel it. And there are others that you don't see. And oh my lord, it killed so Turn around the corner and there they we are. had this joke. Here comes a hill. Oh, it's just a hill. Get over it. And, and we'd go, just get over it. And I remember clearly one day we were out there and this we were on this hill. And Mary, it had to go like that. I, we were using walking poles, which I, I recommend for anybody with bad knees. If you're walking, yeah. get a good set of walking poles. Oh my, does that ever help? They saved you, I bet. You dig in with your arms when you go on the hill. It takes the weight off your legs, but you, you get an extra pr- propelling you up the hill. And I remember being on one hill and Peter turns to me and he says, remember how I says those hills, when you get to them, they just disappear. I said, yeah. He says, this ain't one of them. <laughs> <laughs> and the two of us were huffing and puffing, but we did a lot of that. And we got a lot of that out there. We walked in some crazy weather. I remember going from Alora to um, Alma and it started out, a balmy day. It had to be 10 degrees. Okay. It, it's, it's March. 10 degrees is good in March. Yeah. And we were walking along and then it must've gone up to 15 and then the skies turned. And I looked and I said, that's a color I don't like. It wasn't black. It was Brown. Uh-uh. And that always scares me. I've been in two tornadoes and uh-huh. I'm looking and I said, Pete, and he says, yeah, I see it. And we had to run as quickly as we could. And I can't run. And we got down into a set of trees and we, we, took off our backpacks and we put our rain gear on because we could see the rain. Well, I was putting, I was on my butt putting my pants on when the, the rain and the sleet came sideways at us and we hunkered under those trees and it passed as quick as it came. The wind was incredible. And I thought that's more than a storm. But when we looked up, the skies were clear again and, and we walked, we walked on, we walked 
uh, 19 kilometers that day. It was the first of the long ones. Wow. And I was exhausted. And walking into the wind, I said, I can take the cold, I can take the rain, I can take the snow, but I hate the winds. And I was exhausted. So the training had to get increased at that point. So near the end of the summer, because we'd walked all summer, and I thought, I got to get this done. Peter was on his walk. So what he decided to do was walk the Bruce Trail. So he walked from Niagara to Tobamori, 931 kilometers. And he's he's 65. Wow. He, he, yeah, and he did the same thing. He had his rest days. And he's and raised I, money. Yeah, he raised money for the he raised yeah. thirty thousand dollars for the St. Mary's uh, Heart Center, cardiac center. And near the middle of well, I guess it was the middle of his walk, he was coming through our area. So we had made arrangements. Part of my training would be to join him. And so I joined him up and down the escarpment. That's that's a terrain I wasn't prepared for. And I finished that day and I could see a look on his face and I, and I was done. I was, I thought I was going to be physically sick. I was weak. I was shaking. People stopped to ask him what he was doing and he was doing his pitch and he was handing out his cards and, and people wanted to donate. And I just patted him on the back and said, I'll meet you at the car. And he broke away because he thought I was going to have a heart attack. He thought, he thought he's overdone it. He's really, and he was right. I had overdone it and I wasn't in heart attack territory, but it, I realized something. I'm not pushing myself hard enough. 531 kilometers. You are not ready to go. I have one month till I leave and I need to change things. So I went to Quebec. We have a family cottage in the uh, Appalachian foothills, the Appalachian mountain range in Quebec. It's isolated from everybody. Uh, My brother-in-law and sister-in-law were out there and, and they were exercising good COVID protocols. And so were we. So Mm-hmm. It was legal for us to go. We went and that's when I really upped my training, Mary, and I pushed myself and pushed myself and pushed myself. I had seven days of 30 kilometer plus walks. My brother-in-law was kind enough to come out with a drone and he videotaped it. And we did promotional videos for the walk mm-hmm. from there. And I finished up and I thought, okay, training now says I have a week off, but I was certain in here. I was certain in my head I could do this. And I sat down, had a cold beer with my brother-in-law, my son, and my brother-in-law looked at me with tears in his eyes. He says, I never thought you'd be able to do it, but I have no freaking doubts now, brother. And we had That comes great from a brother. (laughs) Yeah. And we had a toast. Yeah. And I took that drink and my cell phone vibrated and my whole world turned. It all turned upside down in a second. My support team who was going to drive my trailer and we were going to camp along the side of the road in the, in, in the campgrounds. He got a job. He hadn't worked since COVID shut down. He got a job. Not only did he get a job, he got a job in another town. So he had to move from Alora to South Porcupine and I was on my own. Yeah. So now I was on my own a week before the, the walk. I had no support team. So you know, we, I, I just, I didn't tell my brother-in-law, I didn't tell my oldest son who was there. I didn't tell my, I just, I just, I drank the beer and we celebrated. And I thought this is another obstacle. This is another barrier put in my way. I'll find a way, right? I've always said when something's put in your way, there's, there's, there's uh, four ways to get, to get over it. You, You go around it to the right, you go around it to the left, you dig under it, you climb over it. Sometimes you just got to bust through it. So 
I'm sitting there thinking one of those ways is going to work and I'll figure it out. And uh, when driving well, back come so far, I know. And I mean, you can't, all the, all the work you put into that. I mean, it, wow. it was, it was, it was, uh, it was crazy. So we rejuggled things. So for the first week I walked from home. Okay. So I would walk 20 kilometers and then somebody would pick me up and then they'd drive me back to where I start, I left off the last day and I'd carry on from there. They pick me up and they drive me back. And we did that all the way to Newmarket. Uh-huh. And in the meantime, my youngest son graduated from college. He had a, uh, a great uh, project. He got a great score and he has no job. And he said, I got to look for a job. And I said, okay. And he said, but I can look for a job anywhere, dad. I, all I need is internet. Mm-hmm. So I'll drive you. Nice. It's the only one problem. He said, I've never d- driven a trailer. I've never driven a car with a trailer before. And, and that's no easy task for anybody who's ever oh. done it. Yeah. So I still remember the last day of walking from home. And the next day we loaded up the trailer with all the food and I had booked campgrounds and we got out to get into the, the car and he got in the passenger side. I said, what are you doing? <laughs> he said, well, I figured you'd take it. So, yeah. So you can learn to drive with a trailer when I'm not there, get in the, get in the driver's seat. And that's how he learned to drive a trailer. And, well, and he, yeah. he took to it. He took to it, you know, like a duck takes the water. He was fine. So it was really good. And he's, he was a saving grace, but it, I got to spend time along the road with my son. Well, we that's, can't, that's amazing. Many yeah. father sons would love an opportunity to, you know, I mean, uh, you can't recapture that time. I mean, that's priceless. You, you can't. And, and I, I kept telling, I tell all my sons that the good you do in this world comes back to you. The problem is you don't always know when it's coming back. Yeah. I think but that's a real, real purpose. So we don't get too big ahead. Right? That's right. But it's a real gift. Yeah. When it comes back quickly and you understand it. Yeah. And, and so that's what happened with Graham. He was, he was out there doing, um, a good thing with me. He was keeping me going. He was doing all the cooking and the cleaning. He was doing all the driving. All I had to do was walk and make my lunches in the morning. All you had to do. <laughs> and he he did he did everything. Yeah. He did everything. And 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 that just kept me going. And the fact that I knew he was there and he was a phone call away, he was never more than than a 40 minute or an hour drive sometimes when we got further out. And he would, you know, dad, I'll get there. Mm-hmm. I'll get there. And if you need me, you just call. And and he knew the route. And, and he would find me. So that was comforting to have him there and to, and to have him do that. So he was interviewing the whole time he was out there. He was doing Zoom interviews. Now, you know my sense of humor, Mary. Of course. <laughs> so apparently my son has it. Because oh, here he is. Here he is. He's getting a Zoom interview. A headhunter came for him and he was getting a Zoom interview. And he's uh, he sets it up like you are. You can see my office. You can see the picture behind. Yeah. He's, he's sitting there and the guy says, can I ask you a question? <laughs> and he says, yeah. Are you in a tent trailer? <laughs> and Graham says, yeah, I really need this job. <laughs> <laughs> and the guy starts, he goes, he goes, let me tell you what I'm doing. And he explains my walk to them and why I'm doing it. Yeah. And that he's my sole support. Yeah. And the guy was like, oh, wow, yeah. you're the kind of guy I want in my organization. So they interviewed him two more interviews to do their due diligence. Right. And I remember it was, it was, we'll talk about this in, in, in the next segment. One of the toughest days I had out there, not physically, it was emotionally. And I was spent um, with an intervention that happened on the trail. And, and that, that weighs on you. And that's why I worry about, uh, 
mental health workers in this environment. They're taking on a lot. Oh yeah. But anyway, I was spent and I got in the car and I just, I just, it was just verbal diarrhea, verbal diarrhea to Graham. I just needed to get things out. And, and, and then I looked over at him and, I, and it just, it hit me about halfway back to the right. You had another interview today. <laughs> and, and he says, yeah, it's okay, dad, keep talking. I said, no, no. How did your interview go? Oh, I got the job. I now work for, I now work for Toyota. As a robotics technician. And it's a good job. And they said, finish your walk with your dad and we'll see you in October. You know, so that's a shout out to, to uh, Toyota uh, for, for recognizing what a kid was doing and realizing that that's an employee they want. But also they were hiring for the next week and they gave them two, three more weeks. Finish what you're doing with your dad. When you put yourself to do quality... I mean, what he was doing was incredible. And that's, that's character. Yeah. That's character. Uh, Neil, I know from our, our, our chat and setting this up that, you know, we looked at, you have so much to share that to me, it's, it's important to really shed light on um, this journey and why you did it. And you've done the logistics and things like that. You did it for, raising money for the mental health of others. But I'd like to invite you back. Okay. Because I know that as you're talking, it's in my head and I, I'm, it's probably in the in their listeners' heads too, that what about your mental health? That, that, that's physically, you know, demanding and, and, you know, way beyond the norm for sure. But there had to be those moments too where you're, intestinal fortitude, your mental health, you're out there all by yourself, hours on end, days on end, it had to have an impact. So I did already invite you to come back for for the following episode to talk about how you manage that, because I think there's a real message there for others when they're up against it. Now, you were up against it by choice. Yeah, but many people aren't. And, but I think the lessons are the same. I think we need to look and say, okay, how do we manage that? So, you know, if you're willing, I'd love to have you come back. Oh, Mary, Tell I us would, about I would. how you manage that. Yep. But also I know that there were, like, I, I just believe that there's um, purpose in our lives and people cross our paths. And I know oh. that there were some people that you met along the way that had the stories to share and what you were able to do. You already mentioned the word intervention. Yeah. And, your experience and you're just being there like we've often thought about being in the right place at the right time that you know all of this sounds so so challenging and yet so purposeful and intentional yeah i said earlier i was writing a book and i've been listening to because i didn't take a an mp3 player i didn't take a radio i didn't say oh i'm listening to this music and i can walk faster that's not me i like music i but i use music to relax and i didn't think this was going to be relaxing in any way shape or form but I've always wanted to write a book, you know that, uh, about conflict. And so I took a recorder with me, and that microphone was on my my backpack all the time. And I found myself having to yell at myself to say, get out of your head. You can have conversations in your own head. It doesn't help your book unless you're speaking. So mm-hmm. I was walking and talking to myself. And, of course, that was running all the time. And I have uh, numerous uh, cards, memory cards of the 
of the conversations I was having with myself and with other people that, that were out there. And I was listening to those uh, yesterday as I was kind of organizing the book. I was in some pretty dark spots. And I was talking to myself. There were many times on that um, recording, and I could tell you where they are in the trail. I could close my eyes and take you back. Where the pain was so immense, the loneliness was so intense, I was literally crying. And, and, the, and the tears were streaming down my face. And then something would happen that would change everything. Well, I'm looking forward to hearing um, what what inspired you to, to carry on. Because I'm sure there would have been moments where you wanted to quit, but you couldn't because of who you are and what you had had promised or committed to do. Basically, you promised in the sense yeah. of saying, this is what I'm doing. I'm raising money for you. Yeah. And you know, it, it, it was out there and yeah. I couldn't take it back. And there were numerous times, numerous times where I can hear myself on that tape. Call Graham. He's not too far away. Sit down. He'll pick you up. We'll add this to the end. The 27th is not a big deal. Yeah. If you get there on the 29th or the 30th, nobody's going to feel bad for you. Nobody's going to say, oh, you let us down. Just yeah. call. And then something would happen. And it usually was a call, but several times it was a visit. Well, I and, can't wait. And I can't those, wait. those are the stories that I'm putting in the book. And I'll share those with your audience in the next oh, segment. That'd be awesome. So we'll start off next time talking about, um, well, it's all, it's all interconnected, I would think. Because yeah, you oh, know, yeah. if you're, you're mentally handling some of this, then what you just alluded to about the events that happened. So, Neil, let's close off here. Uh, thank you for what you've shared with us so far. The, I think the lesson, the big lesson for me is it's one thing to decide I'll train physically, but it's another thing to address that there are emotional and yeah. you know mental issues that you're dealing with as yeah. well. So let's come back and revisit that because I know my yep. listeners want to hear more. And of course, no one tells a story like Neil Dunsmore. <laughs> Well, the good stories so are yet to come. So if we haven't enticed you enough, make sure you come back because the good the good ones are ab are about to come. They're emotional, some of them, but some of them are pretty darn funny. Yeah, I'm sure they are. I appreciate it. <laughs> There's that. humor in life. There's humor in life and you got to see it. You got to share the one about the bear. <laughs> yeah. yeah, the one about the bear is an emotional one, writing it. And and when I went through it, it's not, it it, it wasn't funny at the time. It was scary, but afterwards it's emotional and it's, it's funny at the same time. So that's what you have to do. You have to look at this life we live yeah. and say, you know, going through it hurts. But when you look back at our age, you look back, you just laugh. You just laugh um, at a lot of it, right? Yeah, hopefully none of it's too serious and none of us are coming out of it alive. So, yeah, you know, that's it. Right. That's so don't it. die before you're dead. Uh, don't die before you're dead because death's coming. Don't matter what you do. It's permanent, right? <laughs> there's no there's no going back. Well, Neil, yeah. thank you so much. I look forward to our next chat. And in the meantime, I'll just close off here and say okay. you don't die before you're dead. I am your host, Mary McCartney, and I dare you to go out there and live the life that you were meant to live. So take care and talk next time. <laughs>